Hey, just before we open up the Bible and uh, just before I, I bring a message, I would like to uh, just pray one more time. So would you uh, bow with me, uh, close your eyes and let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for our parents. We all have uh, mothers or we all have had mothers, even though not all of us are mothers. And so we think of, each of us think of our mothers. And uh, this, at this moment, I pray that you would comfort those whose mother has uh, passed away recently. And maybe this is their first Mother's Day um, since their mother has passed away. And I ask that you would bring um, warm feelings and good memories and help them to honor their mother uh, even at this time. And for the, for the rest of us who, whose mother uh, is still alive, I ask that you would fill us with a compassion and a love and fill us with your heart, uh, your love for our mother. And may we, um, may we honor her today. And of course, we know that we are to honor our father and our mother every day of the year, but this is a day that we recognize that. And so um, help us to, to do that well. Now, Lord, as we uh, open uh, your word, I ask that you would illumine the scriptures to us through your Holy Spirit and teach us what you want to teach us today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, since, um, since the pandemic has hit Manitoba, and since we've instituted social isolation rules and also quarantining for people coming from other provinces and for us going to other provinces, uh, things have slowed down a little bit, haven't they? Life isn't as, as fast, maybe, as it used to be. It used to be I could just uh, run out to the grocery store and pick up some milk and eggs and maybe some bread and then come back really quickly. But now there's a lineup. And so I, I can't just run out and run back. And so sometimes I think, you know, it's not really worth it right now. If, I, if we're doing home renovations, sometimes I need a certain screwdriver or a certain tool or a certain piece. I think, oh, I'll just go to Canadian Tire. I'll just run to Home Depot and come back and keep working on it. But we can't just run out and run back so easily anymore. There's lineups and we have to wait. And so sometimes if we know it's gonna take 30 minutes just to get into the store, once we get to the parking lot, it causes us to slow down a little bit. And for those of us who uh, have children or those who are children, uh, music and soccer and dance lessons and sports, all sorts of things have been um, canceled for now. And so our evenings are probably a little bit freer. We don't have as many activities you know, to, to include, don't we? Uh, and I see a lot of people walking um, every day. People seem to be walking more. Our dogs are happier if you have a dog because they're getting walked a lot. So life does seem to be a little bit slower maybe for many of us, doesn't it? And that may, you may think that's a good thing or maybe you think that's a bad thing. Maybe you don't like it or maybe you do like it. But today I want to uh, ask you a question. Um, and you can say it out, the answer out loud if you want or just think in your head. But um, if you were to describe Jesus... Uh, in, in one word, not a sentence, not three words, but if you had one word, how would you describe Jesus? I think some of us would say uh, loving, right? Jesus is loving or, or um, he's compassionate. Some might say teacher or, or counselor. Uh, he, risen is another word we could use. Lord. Uh, these are maybe common words. Savior, healer. But there's one um, popular pastor and author of mine, when he was asked this question, he gave a different answer. And it made me pause and think, and then I thought, yeah, I really like this answer. So when he was asked, what is one word um, that you would use to describe Jesus? He said, relaxed. 
Have you ever thought of that? Interesting, isn't it? Do you ever, when you read the, the scriptures, when you read the gospels, do you ever see Jesus in a hurry? Do you ever see him uh, rushing around? Um, he, there so many times. I mean, for example, uh, it was time for Jesus to finally launch his public ministry. It's been almost 30 years. And what does he do? He's not hurried. He doesn't want to get things going right away. He spends 40 years in the wilderness preparing, or 40 days, sorry, in the wilderness uh, getting ready. There was a time when his family uh, tried to um, manipulate him in front of a crowd, and, and he just set a boundary. He said, no, this, this is enough. Um, sometimes uh, there was another time when um, crowds, he was always interrupted. He was, seemed to be going somewhere and someone interrupted him and he would just be very calm and he would feed the crowd. Or he's in a, in a small boat in a life-threatening storm and he's taking a nap. Jesus is very relaxed, isn't he? When religious scholars gang up on him with trick questions, he just speaks the truth in love to them. He finds comfort uh, in his relationship with God. Even while being tortured to death, he's, he's ministering to people around him, even his enemies. And so in all these different situations, our Lord Jesus is, is relaxed. He's calm. He's, he's not anxious. And so I know you're probably thinking, well, I'm sure, what about that time in the temple, right, where Jesus overturned the tables? And of course, there are, he had emotions that we would not associate with, with being relaxed. But as a general demeanor, he was, he was aligned with God's purpose for his life, his father's purpose, and he was calm and very joyful and, and giving and, and not rushed. But that's the opposite of today, so, isn't it? We, we're in a very busy society. We're busy all the time. When you ask someone how they're doing, they usually say, oh good, just you know, busy, lots to do. Got a long to-do list. I can never get my to-do list finished. And, you know, recently um, people have, have come up with a new illness. They have diagnosed our, our, our culture, our society. Many people are suffering from what psychiatrists call, there's a term for it, hurry sickness. Hurry sickness is, is a behavior pattern. They would um, define it as um, a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness an overwhelming and continual sense of urgency. Or another way to describe it is a malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time and so tends to perform every task faster and then get flustered when encountering any kind of delay or interruption. Does that ring true for any of you? It's funny that we have this problem today because compared to hundreds of years ago or even just 50 years ago, we have so many time-saving devices now, don't we? We should have more time than we used to have. We don't have to wash dishes by hand. We don't have to wash our clothes by hand. In fact, we even have shampoo and conditioner in the same bottle. We have drive through windows that there's skip the dishes. We don't even have to go out to get food. We should have a lot of extra time because, and technology is great. I love it. It saves us a lot of time or, or does it? This is interesting. Okay, back in the 1960s, uh, Time magazine uh, had um, this sub, uh, there was an expert testimony was given at the, the subcommittee in the Senate in the United States. And they said, basically, due to all these advances in technology, that within 20 years, okay, so this is 1960, so within 20 years, by 1980, okay, within 20 years or so, p 
people will have to cut back radically on how many hours a week they worked, or else they would have to reduce the number of weeks they work in a year, or you just have to start retiring sooner. Because the great challenge that they, they had the guest in 20 years would be figuring out what to do with all of this excess time. Are you laughing? It's kind of funny, isn't it? Because that is not our experience today. It's not like we think, oh, what am I going to do with all this extra time? We seem to be running out of time, don't we? We're in such a hurry. We don't have any excess time. But, you know, the answer isn't, the answer to this isn't more time. I've often thought, and maybe you have too, I wish that there were eight days, you know, just one more day in the week. Or couldn't, couldn't we have 30 hours? I think if there's 30 hours in a day, I could... I'd be more relaxed and I would get, you know, more things done. It'd just be so much easier. But that's not really the answer. I mean, I bet that if, if God could arrange somehow, which he, you know, eight days and, and a 40-hour uh, day, what would we do with our extra time? I, I think a lot of us would fill it with good things. I'm not saying you're going to waste your time. Maybe some of us would, would learn an instrument or pick up you know, piano lessons where we left off as a child, that we would relearn some of those things. Perhaps we would volunteer uh, at our children's school. We've always wanted to, but we're just too busy. So now I have the time. I can, I can be on, you know, the parent advisory council. Or, or some of us might say, now finally I can help out with Sunday school, you know, at church or, or in the youth group. Or, or maybe we would have people into our home more often because our, our living room, our, our homes would be so much tidier because we have all this extra time. And perhaps you would even host a life group in your house um, on a Monday evening or a Tuesday evening or something, because we would have all this. I'm sure we would, we would have a lot of good things to do. For me, I think I, I would, I've wanted to do an Ironman. And so I think I, I would have time now. I could train and I could, I could learn how to ride a bike faster and longer. And I, I, maybe I would do an Ironman triathlon. I would like to uh, learn how to do the Rubik's Cube blindfolded. And there's actually videos and courses online. I just don't have the time right now. So if I, I would do this, even helpful, you know, good for your brain, right? There's a lot of good and helpful things that we would do. Or maybe you would join shapes and we would get into shape or join kickboxing. And we would, we would take care of our bodies. We, we just don't have time right now to do this or else I would be working out regularly several times a week. So I think we would, we would have good things to do. But then I think we've just used up all the extra time that God just gave us. And we're in that cycle again. You see, I don't think the answer to our hurriedness is, is more time. That's not uh, the answer. You know, do you suffer from, from what people are calling hurry sickness? Here's a kind of a survey. Here, here's some signs that you might be suffering from hurry sickness. Um, do you move from, in the grocery store, do you move from one checkout line to another because it looks shorter or faster? Um, do you count the cars um, in front of you uh, and either get in the lane that has the least or is going the fastest? Do you multitask to the point of forgetting one of the tasks? Right? Do you accidentally put your clothes on inside out or backwards? <laughs> or do you sleep in your daytime clothes to save time in the morning? Do you feel anxious? Are you rushing or, or hurrying? Does it feel like your body is in a knot sometimes? Are you just doing too many things? Maybe your mind just can't stop racing. Even when there's nothing going on, there's always more in your head. Or Do you drive too fast? Any speeding tickets, anyone? 
maybe you're not able to really be fully present with people and yet you're thinking, you're not even listening to what they're saying or are you irritable? Do you get irritated with these simple tasks in life like having to wait in line at the supermarket or, or are you skimping over time with God? You don't have time you know, to sit down and read and to pray and to listen to what God has to say. These are some signs that we may be or you may be suffering uh, from hurry sickness. And uh, I have a confession to make. I suffer from this. And I approach today's message a little bit with some hesitation uh, because, um, because this is a, something that I struggle with, a hurry sickness, uh, working to having too much, you know, in my mind. And so, but I've, um, here's, here's a question. And what would you like? Would you like someone, um, would you like your pastor to, to preach what he lives or to live what he preaches? What's the difference? See, if, if your pastor preaches uh, only what he lives, well, then there's going to be a limited amount of things that I can preach from because I, I'm not perfect and I can't do everything that I'm supposed to be doing all the time. And so there are many things I would just, I, I can't preach on that. So I'm going to skip over that one. Or um, if your pastor lives what he preaches, then, then he can preach from every, anything, yet try to be incorporating some of these things into his life at the same time. So I, that's where I am. I, I'm attempting to live uh, as I preach. And so it's hard. I, my family watches, and I think sometimes I'm preaching, and they, they, they might know, oh, maybe he's not, you know, there's some discrepancy, and there will be discrepancy. But I, I hope my aim is to live what I preach. And so today we're talking about, uh, you'll you see hurry, hurry, uh, this hurried life, a hurry sickness. And I'm going to tell you why this is really important, why we need to do this in just a minute. But recently, a couple of you emailed me and uh, I have a, a team of people who pray for me uh, regularly and I send out prayer requests and, and they're praying for different things. And um, they didn't plan this together, but both of them emailed me very close to each other within a day. And basically what their email was, uh, you need to be careful of burnout. Don't burn out. You're doing too much. And as I received one of those emails, that same morning um, that I received one of those messages, I had been reading uh, about the story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10. Um, it says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. That's, that's really nice of Martha to do that. She had a sister called Mary, right? So Mary and Martha, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him, right? She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me, you know, to do all this work by myself? Tell her to help me. And Jesus replied, oh, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will be not be taken from her. See, as I read that passage in the morning before I received those messages, I heard Jesus telling me that there are uh, many important things that I'm doing, but there's only one thing that's needed. Sit at my feet and listen. And so I told my wife uh, about this, the passage and how God spoke to me and these emails, and she agreed 
You know, sometimes if you are married or you're in a close relationship with someone, they can tell you a little better. So she concurred that I need to have better boundaries. And uh, our board also encouraged me to take these messages to heart. And so I did. Or I, I meant to, anyways. Like, like I really wanted to. I, I, I was sincere in saying I wanted to take this message from God seriously, but maybe I haven't done so well. You see, Corey Ten Boom has said this. She said, if the devil can't make you busy, sorry, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Carl Jung, a psychiatrist who I think he was part of developing that whole Myers-Briggs, you know, so I think he knows what he's talking about. He said, hurry is not of the devil. Okay, hurry is the devil. And this is the problem right here. Hurry and love are incompatible. We've been talking lately, recently for several months about the love of God and how all throughout scriptures, the main theme that, that weaves everything together is God's love, his compassion, his mercy. God is love. And we looked at some Old Testament passages. These messages are online if you want to go back and listen to them. And then we saw how that was uh, exemplified in the life of Jesus and his actions and his teachings and everything that he did. He was, it was all out of love. And then as we move further into the Bible, into further other parts of the New Testament, we saw that there, there were, there was, um, the reasons that we do everything is out of love. Jesus said we should be even loving our enemies. And then the Apostle Paul talked about how we, we love each other. And this love is, this is very important. Jesus said, others will know that you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. And so hurry, if hurry and love are incompatible, then what's getting in the way of us loving our brothers and sisters in Christ? What's getting in the way of us loving? One of the things that's getting in the way of us loving God and loving others is just this hurried lifestyle that we have. We don't slow down long enough. It's a sickness that we have. And so I must admit that um, all of my worst moments as a father and a pastor, as, as, a friend, as a human being, happen when I'm in a hurry. Is that the same for you too? Have you ever noticed that if you're, when you're late for your, an appointment or maybe you're behind on some you know, unrealistic to-do list, trying to cram too much you know, into your day? How do you feel? So anger, you know, tension, a critical spirit. All of these things are the opposite of love. Do you want proof of this? Maybe you don't need proof of this, but in case you do, the next time you're in your car and you're late for some meeting or an appointment and a train comes, pay attention to how you feel. Or if you're on your way out of your house and you're running late because you're in a hurry, just pay attention to how you relate to your family. Does it look and feel like love? You see, hurry and love are incompatible. They, it's like oil and water. They don't mix. And so um, I've titled this sermon in the next couple of weeks because it's related to God's love is, I don't know if you can see this is smaller, but this is the ruthless elimination of hurry. We need to focus on this. These words are taken uh, from Dallas Willard. There's also a book that was recently published on There's been many books on this, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. When we think of, of love, when we think of the love chapter, we go to 1 Corinthians 13. 
it's often read at weddings, and there's this long list of, of describing what love is, right? Lo love is not easily angered, right? Love is not self-seeking, all of these things. But what is the very first thing? What's the very first way that love is described in 1 Corinthians 13? Do you remember? Love is what? Patient. Love is patient. See, we can't be in a rush. We can't be hurried. If our mind is full of all these things that we have to do, we, you can't love very well because love takes time. If you're in a relationship, if you have a really good friend, or if you're married, or what, you realize that love costs time. Like it, it, there's a commitment. And, and it's easy for us to say that, but then when we realize, you know, if I really want to show love to this person, I, I don't have time, you know, I don't really have time right now. We understand that love takes time. That's why love is patient. What's, what's the most important thing? Um, what are the two most important commandments? Right? Jesus said, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. This is, this is the central core of Jesus' teaching. It's easy to say, but much harder to do it. And again, the answer isn't to have more time. The solution to an over-busy life is not more time. The solution is to slow down, simplify our lives around what really matters, like what Jesus said to Martha. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Jesus um, said these words in Matthew chapter 11, and I often use these words at the beginning of our worship service, and I would say these are from Jesus, his words. Do you remember what they are? Matthew chapter 11. He says these words, come to me, he's inviting us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Do you feel weary? Do you feel burdened? Do you feel tired, like, like not just physically, but in your soul, in your, in your whole being? Here's an invitation from Jesus to come to him, all of you who are weary and tired and burdened, because his yoke is easy. Let's just talk about yokes for a second here before we, we move on. We don't see many yokes today, but yoke, a yoke is um, a, a tool uh, that would be a heavy harness, kind of, uh, made out of wood, and would put over, you know, two oxen, maybe over their necks, like this. And it's used to attach them together, and so they hitch them up to a plow, and then they can, you know, go across the field, and they, to get the, the field ready, right, to, to plant the crop. This is before gasoline and oil, just, you know, ox energy would pull these, this, this, um, the plow across the field. So first of all, a new ox needs to be, needs to be trained, needs to be broken in. And so to train a young um, ox, uh, farmers wouldn't pill a, put, put one young ox with another young ox because young, they don't know what to do. Maybe they'll see grass. Oh, I want to go eat over here. They've just got too much energy. It doesn't work. And so a young ox would be paired with a, an older ox who has been trained and knows exactly how, they're much stronger. And so the older ox would would shoulder most of the burden and, and be able to just plow ahead, you know, slowly. And in that way, the young ox learns how to plow a field. That's, um, that's how it's done. And so, 
Um, Jesus is like that mature ox. He says, um, take my yoke upon you, right? Because my yoke is easy. There's, there's a, a yoke, yoke still means your work, you're still doing work. But we're side by side, and Jesus is like that mature ox. Sometimes we find ourselves unyoked, wandering off, doing things, rushing ahead, doing things on our own. But, but Jesus says, come and take my yoke upon you, because my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Look at these words. Jesus says, come to me. This is an invitation to come uh, to Jesus and take his yoke upon you. So hidden in this invitation, when Jesus says, come to me, that there's a secret to the easy yoke. And over the next couple of weeks, I'd like to look at this. What, what is this secret to the easy yoke? Let me just explain it to you this way. I know there, there's a popular uh, Netflix documentary, uh, Michael Jordan. I've been watching that. I used to, I loved watching Michael Jordan growing up. I'm learning a lot about him. I'm not sure if I like him as much as I used to. But anyways, that's uh, a different thing. But when I was uh, growing up, many people wanted to be like Michael Jordan. I think there was even a commercial with be like Mike. And so um, we would try to be like Mike. And we noticed that uh, when he would shoot or, you know, hang in the air or do his, uh, he'd always stick out his tongue. And so maybe some of us, would, we, we would want to be like, so we'd stick out our tongue and, and we'd wear number 23 and, and then we want to wear his shoes and we'd buy, you know, the, the Air Jordans. I guess they're called Jordan 1s now. Just buy, buy, buy those shoes, wear, you know, stick out your tongue and, and then, but we still can't dunk like Michael Jordan. Like we, we, we can't do that. And so... Um, we, we don't understand all the work that maybe has gone into that. And so we see athletes, uh, Olympians, and we think, I want to be like that person. But do you understand what's gone into that? The years and years of training. And so sometimes we think, I want to be like Mike. I want to be like Jesus. But I don't really want to adopt their lifestyle. I'd rather sit on the couch and eat salt and vinegar chips with a Coke while they're you know, eating celery and water and going to bed early and getting up early or something. So the, there's a whole lifestyle that goes behind that. Lots of training that goes into that. And so it's easy for us to just you know, look at the surface and think, well, this is how they hold the basketball. This is how they hold the bat. You know, these are the shoes they wear. If I just do these things, I will become like them. It doesn't work. Same with Jesus. We, we think, oh, he says, you know, do not look lustfully at a woman in your heart. So, okay, I just try really, really hard not to do that. Or he says, you know, love your enemies. Okay, so I'm just going to try really, really hard to do that. But you don't understand that there's to, to wear Jesus' yoke and to, to come to that invitation is to, is to accept his whole lifestyle and to follow along with him in, in the entirety of what he does, not just in those moments um, of, of, of trial or, or, or success, his, their whole lifestyle. And so probably most of us aren't really willing to do what it takes to become an Ironman triathlete. Of course, I think I would like to, but when it comes down to it, yeah, I probably don't want to adopt that lifestyle at the moment. So we need to adopt Jesus' lifestyle completely. There's also something else, though. Uh, we have limitations. I mean, no matter how hard I trained, or if I did train, I, I'm still five foot 11. Like, I, I'm never going to be as tall as Michael Jordan. And I doubt I'll ever get to have a four-foot vertical, if that's what his vertical was. Like, there are limitations, and these limitations are given to me by God. And actually, limitations are a gift from God. And we need to learn to accept the limitations God has given to us. Even uh, all throughout the scripture, we see um, people had limitations. There's a, um, a bad example, would be early on in Genesis uh, chapter 2, um, 
when Adam and Eve were given uh, limitations that do not, you can, you know, all this garden is great except for this tree for some reason. But they broke that limitation and the consequences we have suffered ever since. Uh, John the Baptist is, is maybe a good example. Uh, there, were, there was a time when he was preparing the way for Jesus. And at one point in his ministry, people were leaving him and becoming disciples of Jesus. And, and his people were like, whoa, what, you know, what are you going to do about that? And he said, oh, no, no, that's okay. We, we've all been given different things, and this is my role. And this person is so much greater. You see, we also learn in Genesis that, that we have limitations. Like, we aren't God. We are mortal. God is God is immortal. It says that uh, God formed, um, formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. And, and, you know, to dust we will return. We, we can't do everything. And that should be freeing for you. You can't do everything. You can't watch every single TV show. You can't keep up on every single piece of entertainment that's out there. Like, we can't do everything. We have limitations. So learning to accept these limitations that God has given us is important and essential for us to become the loving people that God has called us to be. The Apostle Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 to 17. I'm going to, the, the verses are here. I'm just going to read this to you. And as I read, think about how many times he mentions limits or limitations. He says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. We don't want to compare to, they, they have, you know, some people have been given 10 talents, some people have given two talents, some people have given five talents. That's okay. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. And then Paul says, we, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us a sphere that also includes you. We are not going too far in our boasting. See, there's more limit. We're not going too far. There's a sphere of service that God has given us to us. We're not going too far in our boasting as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did not get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits, okay, by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory, but let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He also says elsewhere in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Okay, so we're, we're fragile. <laughs> Paul knew there are limitations to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Even Jesus also had limitations. As I mentioned uh, earlier, the, he, 30 years of his life, he gladly accepted the limitations that his father had put on him. And he, he grew up as a child and he was a carpenter. And it took a long time before he was ready to have his public ministry uh, launched. And then when he did, he took 40 days. There, he was not hurried to get it, not in a hurry to get it going. Jesus did not heal every sick and demon-possessed person in the hospital. He did not build a great church in Capernaum uh, when he was begged to remain in that city in Mark chapter 1. He refused to let certain people follow him. Can you imagine that? Um, there was the, the Gadarene demoniac who had been delivered, and he said, no, you do, don't follow me. He prayed all night and chose only 12 people to be closest to him. Just 12. 
others probably would, be, would have been disappointed. And Jesus, in John chapter 6, Jesus didn't run after the crowds who decided to leave him um, after he, he had, gave a difficult teaching about his body and his blood. He says, that's okay, let them go. Jesus did not go in person to meet the needs of everyone in Europe or Africa or America or Asia. Yet at the end of his life, he prayed this way. He said, I have finished the work that my father has given for me to do in John chapter 17. So even Jesus, who is inviting us to take his yoke upon ourselves, accepted the limitations that his father had given to him. And they were, he was God. And he accepted limitations of being in one place at one time, having a human body, you know, being a human being. He accepted these limitations. There's something very freeing, okay, about us being able to accept the limits that God has, said, has given to us. Something very, very spiritual about those God-ordained uh, limits in our lives. And uh, Superman is a very good example of this. Well, not Superman, but um, the actor. Uh, remember Christopher Reeve, if you're old enough to remember him? Um, Christopher Reeve acted as, was the actor for, for Superman, and he's a good example of accepting limitations. And then I have another example I want to share with you after. Um, you know, he was, he was Superman. His face was, was Superman. But then in, um, in 1995, he had a tragic horseback riding accident. And uh, before that, he, he lived without hardly any limits. He was good-looking, intelligent. He was athletic. Uh, he was like, you know, the... He was the poster child for American, you know, whatever. I can do whatever I want. Um, but um, after his uh, horseback riding accident, he became a, a quadriple quadriplegic. And so now he is living um, with the severest of human limitations. He's strapped in a wheelchair. He needs a resp respirator to breathe. He's completely dependent on other people. He's completely dependent on his wife, you know, if it's for basic, you know, care and functioning. But he's making a real contribution to the human race. Um, with the pass passion that came from, from having faced his own limitations, he raised funds for medical research. You can look at this on Wikipedia or online. He lobbied for insurance reform, participated in cutting-edge rehabilitative exercise therapies. He reached out in friendship uh, to many whom he might never have been noticed. And uh, if it weren't for his new limitations, many people benefited because of his contributions to society. And he said, um, living with these extreme limitations, he said, you know, I obviously didn't wish this. This is Christopher Reeve's words, but it's amazing. If it hadn't happened, I probably would have been that person that people would say, oh, he's that actor, you know, who used to do that thing with the cape. Instead, he became a person of substance whom friends and colleagues experienced as a person of courage, intelligence, dignity, and generosity. Living within our limits is a wonderful thing. I have another example of someone I know who was a missionary in Japan when we were there as a church planter, and her name was um, Jane. And she, um, she came down with, with something. She was diagnosed with, uh, I think it was called chronic fatigue syndrome. And when she came back from America, at one point she could only work for half an hour uh, a week, that's all. And Jane planted churches faster than a whole team of missionaries could do. Jane was so effective, many people came to the Lord uh, because of her. But she said, I have half an hour this week and that's all I can work, so I'm going to choose wisely 
how I spend that half an hour. And eventually, it got the time increased to where she could work a half a day, you know, all week. And yet she was a very effective um, communicator and proclaimer of the gospel. And eventually she could, I mean, she never got, I don't think, to be full-time, but even in her limited hours, she accepted her limitations and God was able to do so much through her. You know, here's some um, things I want you to know. Your, your limits are your friends. If God is, if you've ever asked yourself, you know, I wonder what my calling is from God, or I wonder what God wants me to do, or what's God's will for my life? Your God-given purpose will be found within your limitations. Your limitations are good for you. And your limitations are different than my limitations. And my limitations are different than someone else's. They're your friend. Accept them because they are from God. For example, um, at this time, this time in my life, um, we have one car. So that's a limitation. I have, we have one vehicle, seven people in my family, uh, with five children. Um, my wife works full-time and, and I work full-time. These are just limitations in this season of my life. And so what God is asking me to do is going to happen within these limitations. What are some of your limitations? Do you have... Um, a child who has special needs. That, that's a limitation. And within that, God, will, um, God is calling you um, to do what he's, he's asking you to do. But when we try to go outside of our limitations, this is when we become hurried, when we become anxious, when we become less loving. And so in order for us to become more loving, I think we need to follow Jesus and become unhurried. This is why it's called the ruthless elimination of hurry. Here's some signs that you may be reaching um, your limit. Seven signs that you may be reaching your limit. First one is uh, irritability and hypersensitivity. Things that normally wouldn't bother you, like it's just simple chore that someone is, is not doing properly, you, you, you're just hypersensitive to it. This could be a sign that you're reaching your limit or maybe you've already gone past. Or a restlessness. Even during waking hours, you might be aware of this vague, you know, sense that something's not quite right. Or maybe it's hard for you to fall asleep at night because your mind is racing. A compulsive overworking. I mean, overwork, uh, people, we brag about this addiction. Oh, he works a lot, and that's a good thing. It's supposed to be a good thing, but this is um, a very strong addiction that people are saying today. We, we work too much. You go on vacation and people are still doing email, or they're just not really able to be there fully with their, their family. Another sign might be emotional numbness. Uh, when we're pushing against our limit, we might notice that we can't really feel, you know, think good or, or bad. It's hard for us to, um, to, emotion takes energy. And so when our energy is used up, it's, it's hard for us. Maybe you feel emotionally numb. Maybe there are escapist behaviors. When, there, when we do get a break in the action, finally, a little, some breathing room, we might notice that we are, um, easily tempted to escapist behaviors, such as compulsive eating or drinking or other substance abuse or just watching, binge watching television, uh, pornography or surfing the, in the internet. All of these things might be signs that maybe you've reached your limit. Or for example, not even, not able to attend uh, to human needs. We don't even have time to take care of our own bodies or to even get laundry done or to, to clean up our house. We're not sleeping enough. Or finally, slippage in our spiritual practices. If we're, if we're crossed our limits, if we're close to our limits, one of the things that will fall behind is the time we spend with God and the time we spend praying and listening and, and reading His word and working on those 
um, on those, those disciplines. So these are just some examples. And I don't know if, if this is true of you or not, but I want you to recognize that limitations are not a bad thing. It's within those limitations that you find God's will for your life. And this is especially important for us because we are, we are trying to be a loving community. We want to love each other. We, we don't want to be irritable or critical or judgmental. We want God's love to throw, flow through us to other people. But if we want to accept that invitation of Jesus to come to him, to follow him, in, in his entirety of his life, we, we probably need to slow down a little bit. And understanding what your limitations are in this season of life will help you to do that. You can discern your limits. Like, look, look at your personality. Everyone has a different personality. Some people love to be with people. Some people get drained by being with too many people. And so th this is part of your God-given limitations. Look at the season of your life. I gave you some examples about the season, uh, our season in life right now. You have some legitimate limitations right now. But this is a season. It won't be like this forever. Look at... Look at your life situation, look at your, your capacities, your intellectual capacities, your physical capacities, or your emotional capacities. These, there's, these are not bad things. Limita we, our society tends to think limitations are bad. You, know, you, can, you can do whatever you want to do, whatever you want to dream, you can accomplish. It's, I mean, it's not true. I, I will never play in the NBA even if I want to. I have limitations, so accept what these limitations are. You can look at uh, your family past, look at some scars or wounds from, from from issues in the past, these also will be part of God's given limitations to you. And so, eliminating hurry in our life is, I'm preaching to myself, like I've said before, something we need to, to work on. And maybe this time right now where stores are, are, are moving at half the pace, and some stores are still open, not open, um, maybe this is a time for us to reevaluate. What, what are the things that are most important? And where can I be spending more time or, or less time? I think it's a good time for reevaluate this, this hurried, frenetic pace of life that really causes no good uh, for us, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And because this does not coincide, this is not um, congruent with a life of love, we want to be more loving, and so we need to slow down a little bit. Let me pray as we finish off here. God, help us to live within the limits of what you've called us to do. Help us live within the limits of who we are, both as individuals and as an organization, as, as a church and as a community. Help us to give our very best in the field that we've been given to, the field that we've been given to work. And we trust you to enlarge our sphere of action if you feel that is warranted and when you know we are ready. Help us to know the difference between being driven by huge visions and then responding faithfully to the expansion of your work in and through us. Thank you for your limitations. Help us to recognize them and help us to slow down to spend more time on the things that really matter. In Jesus' name, amen.